The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Your earliest dream was to be a clown. Is that correct? That's where it all started? Yeah, I wanted to be a clown in the circus after I went to the circus, and it was explained to me that clowns were just normal people with makeup on. Oh, you didn't know that at first? Yeah. um, You know, I I, I thought that's just how those people looked. So I was like, (laughs) hold on just a second. You're telling me I can look like that? They're like, yeah, yeah, you just put makeup on. (laughs) Okay, well, that's what I want to do. My name is Eric Stone Street. I played Cameron Tucker on Modern Family, and I am a Chiefs fan. Hello, everybody. It's a new day. It's a new Tuesday, which means a new episode of Off the Beat. I'm your host, Brian Baumgartner. I am so excited to share with you today. This is the reason that we're doing off the beat conversations like today. My guest, you just heard the one and only Eric Stone Street. Now I've known Eric for a long time and I know that he had a bit of an unconventional start in showbiz. Well, I'm not sure if performing at parties quite counts as showbiz, but it certainly was the road that led him to where he is today. You probably know him 
as Cam from Modern Family, half of the iconic duo that was Mitch and Cam, a couple that would pave the way for same-sex couples on primetime television. He's won Emmys. He's made appearances on everything from America's Got Talent to CSI to even a Weird Al Yankovic music video. Now, like me, he is a huge sports fan, yes, and he's done his fair share of voice acting. And, oh yeah, I almost forgot, he could have been Kevin Malone on The Office. So, there's that. Let's just dive right in. Please welcome my friend and yours, America's sweetheart, Eric Stone Street. Bubble and squeak, I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning. Left over from the night before. What is happening? Hi, Bri Bri. How are you? Good. How's it going? I, you know, I almost wore my Packers hat. I was wondering if you would have the uh, the Chiefs thing rolling. I know. Mm, I mean, what? It hurts so much. It, it does. It does. I mean, especially after you guys won what might be the greatest game in the history of the NFL. Yeah, it was the greatest game. Is there any good feelings about that, or is it just still? Shitty. No, it, it it makes it worse. Like, because it none of it matters. I mean, that's the great thing about the sport we love so much, right? It only matters what you do in this game. It's like it's just immediately erased from meaning anything. It means zero now. Yeah. Well, listen. I want to get back, go back into your history, but the first thing I feel like we need to talk about because I think we have n- never discussed this specifically, but you were up for the role of Kevin Malone <laughs> in the office. I sure and this, was. Yes, I we, was. I, and I, I don't know if you've ever heard this story, but when Steve left the show, Allison Jones came to me and said, you know, I was looking for like momentous. Allison Jones throws nothing away. She keeps every mm. document, every casting sign-in sheet, every note ever written. I'd love to see some of my notes, like from maybe my Curb Your Enthusiasm audition, but she said, I didn't really find that much for Steve, but I found this for you. So this is, you know, seven years into our run. This is circa 2011. And she hands me up a sheet of paper and it says, Kevin Malone, Brian Baumgartner, Eric Stone Street, and Jorge Garcia. What? And this was the final three for Kevin Malone. We were the the three. Did you know that you were that close or is this a surprise to you? No, not a surprise. But what's so cool about this, and you're right that we've always known this little bit of Hollywood trivia, I have perspective on it from my end because I was friends with Angela Kinsey and Warren Lieberstein from my improv Olympic days. Well, when I came in and read, like I'm sure you did, it started with me reading for, you know, the Steve Carell part. Like that's was my, just go in and meet Allison Jones and read. And then she called back and said, well, you're not right for that, but come in for this other part. So then I went in and I read for your part. 
And I called Warren and, you know, I knew his brother had something to do with the show and his brother-in-law, you know, created the show, the American right. version. I'm like, dude, I'm testing for the show. And he's like, yeah, you're, you're in the top three. Like there's three tapes that they're looking at. Right. And I don't know what time of year it was. This is your story. So you would have better references than right. I would, because I quickly tried to have to forget about this moment. But for whatever reason, whether it was a football game, a baseball game, or whatever, I was over at Paul Lieberstein's house, and wow. I saw your picture. I saw your picture at his house. Really? And I, yeah, like the decision hadn't been made yet. Right. And so I knew who you were, and I saw your picture and tapes, and I just wanted to be like, be like nose over there and be like. What's any of that? What's, you know, like, what's any of this say? Like, what's the, <laughs> is there anything written down yet? Is it decided? But then it wasn't long after that, that, you know, you got it and that, and I didn't get it, but uh, yeah, what a great, what a great moment, but it's also great for everyone who wants to be an actor and in our business to understand that, you know, you got the part like because you deserve the part. It was your part. They just didn't know it was your part yet. And it wasn't my part. And it wasn't my time. And then a couple years later, then another audition rolls around for Modern Family. And that turned out to be my part. And Jorge right. obviously had his part. He found his part. So it's pretty cool little Hollywood intersection for us. It is. And I think uh, the other thing that is so cool about it was, you know, we were three guys, not well known at all at that point. Um, but everybody ended up getting their part. As you said, everybody yeah. ended up, you know, it's not like, oh, who was that guy? Has anybody ever heard from him before? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Everybody did. Right. Yeah. Really, really neat. And, you know, you, you were the, the best, like we as fans of TV and fans of things, like you, you watch TV shows and think like, well, nobody else could have done that. And my version of that character certainly wasn't your version. Your version wasn't mine. And, you know, went to the right person. Now, here we are. Here we are. Yeah, you could be talking to me right now, I guess. <laughs> That's what I will disagree with you about Allison Jones not throwing anything away, though, because she threw me away a lot of times out of those well, offices. <laughs> but she kept the mementos of throwing you away. Yes, yeah, she did. And she I know you've talked to her and talked about her many times, but I just want to reiterate, she's the greatest, the best. And here's a great Allison Jones story for you. So when I came from Chicago, I had an acting teacher in Chicago uh, named Glenn Haynes. And when I moved out here, Allison was nice enough to, you know, she came to Improv Olympic and I got a one line part on um, Michael J. Fox's TV show that he was the mayor's assistant. Uh, Spin, Spin City. City. Well, all of a sudden I get called from my agent and said, Hey, you've got to, you're going to work on Spin City this week. I'm like, I've never even auditioned for Spin City. And she's like, yeah, well, Allison Jones saw you in an improv show and there's one line of a photographer and she's just giving you the part. And I'm like, that's awesome. So I go in, I do the part, whatever. And then this is, you know, we're talking 1999, 2000 here. So then Allison would call me in for different things over the years, never got anything. Then got, you know, close with, with the office and would hear from her every once in a while, never got anything. Well, Glenn Haynes, this acting teacher, I happened to run into him in Los Angeles. He was out here. I said, what's going on? He's like, oh, I'm out here doing some classes and I'm, I'm actually living, um, staying with Allison Jones. I'm like, this is before Modern Family. I said, would you do me a favor? Like, will you ask Allison Jones honestly, like, 
what what her assessment of me is. You know, I never know because I'm this insecure actor like all of us that she keeps calling me in, but I'm not booking anything. And so he asked her, he called me the next night and he said, Allison Jones said, you are a series regular waiting to happen. Amazing. And you know what, whether it was true or not, it was so gracious of her to give me that moment of confidence. She knew the basis of my question was, I'm not feeling great about myself right now. Like I'm not, I have traction, but I'm not really, I'm not really making it. And Allison's response was whether she believed it or not, which I, I think she's an honest person and I value her opinion. She said, you're a series regular waiting to happen. And that just lifted me so much and made me feel so good. And that's what a casting director can do to you in addition to helping you get hired on jobs. Yeah, that's, that's an amazing story. And also I mean, the first part of your story about Spin City, I mean, she is the hardest working casting director in Hollywood and she is out there all the time. And the fact that she goes and sees an improv show and sees you and is like, okay, that guy needs to work. That guy needs to, let's throw him something. No, I mean, let's throw him something because he, he's got it. And yeah, she's, she's the best. We love her. Um, so before your audition for the office, we're going to get back to some of those other things. (laughs) Apparently every funny person in Hollywood working today grew up in or around Kansas city, Missouri. You know, I've talked Keckner, Riggle, all of these guys, you're in Kansas city. Your earliest dream was to be a clown. Is that correct? Right. That's where yeah. it all started. Yeah. I wanted to be a clown in the circus after I went to the circus and it was explained to me that clowns were just normal people with makeup on. Oh, you didn't know that at first. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I thought that's just how those people looked. So I was like, <laughs> hold on just a second. You're telling me I can look like that. And they're like, yeah, yeah. You just put makeup on. <laughs> okay. Well, that's what I want to do. How old were you? Oh, I was like seven, eight when that epiphany happened. And then okay. at nine ten, my grandma's making me clown costumes and I'm going, you know, in 4-H and I'm taking makeup classes with shrine clowns. And, you know, my, I always give my dad so much credit, you know, and my mom too, but my dad more importantly, because here he's, you know, I'm in Kansas. I have pigs and cows. I'm playing football, taking karate, putting on my mom's wig and makeups, you know, <laughs> things like that. So I know at some point he's like, what's going on? Uh, and he didn't yield. He just... He's just like, this is my son and I'm not going to, you know, they encouraged me so much to just follow any and all my dreams uh, and interests. I wanted to play the drums. I had a snare drum. I was in karate. I had a karate gi. I wanted to be a clown. I had a red nose, you know, whatever, whatever it was. So I'm thankful that they allowed me just to do that. And you went then to KSU. Mm -hmm, Kansas State. And yeah. And you, when did you decide that this was something that you wanted to do that was it, was there a moment, was it a gradual progression uh, to say, Oh no, I want to be an actor. Mm. So I had a high school girlfriend that broke my heart, broke, broke up with me and she stayed behind. That's okay. So anyway, she stayed behind. I went on to Kansas state. I did a year of track and field. I threw the shot put in discus until I found out that uh, 16 pounds is a lot heavier than 12 pounds. And I'm like, I can't throw this thing. This is too heavy. Like, this is this is this is really heavy, guys. So I went to uh, I went to Kansas State, left my track and field dreams behind, and 
we ended up ending our relationship. And my best friend, then Paul, who I met is still my best friend, Paul. Now he saw that I was bummed and down and, you know, melancholy. And he's like, you know, you, you always wanted to be a clown. I know it's not clowning, but why don't you audition for a play? Have you ever thought about doing it? I'm like, no. He's like, well, I did forensics and plays in high school. I'll audition if you will. So we both went up to the theater department. It was two fraternity guys and auditioned for Hamlet and Prelude to a Kiss, two plays. He got cast as Bernardo in Hamlet, and I got cast as Uncle Fred in Prelude to a Kiss. Smallest part, uh, Ned Beatty played it in the movie. So I did that, had a few lines, and I loved it, man. I loved writing my little notes on my pages, and I loved all the people. I mean, uh, you're talking about this, not that I was a farm kid, but I certainly was mostly farm kid. But now I'm, I'm in the theater department with all these people with piercings and tattoos and having these crazy parties that I knew nothing about that were going on on campus. I'm like, I love this. Like it's a pass for me on a lot of it, but wow, this is really interesting. Uh, and, you know, met some of my closest friends still that work for blue man group in New York and have, you know, forever. Uh, I always call Tim like, the first gay guy I ever met, Tim O'Miller. Hi Tim. And so I loved it. And then people made the mistake of telling me they thought I was good. And I made the mistake of believing that people in Manhattan, Kansas knew what good was. And then I was like, well, shit, I guess I'm going to give this a try. So I kept auditioning for plays and got bigger parts in the plays. And then I think it was after my first lead that I decided, well, I'm going to go for this. And that was it. Yeah. At that point, there's probably not a whole lot of, you know, outside of college in Manhattan, Kansas opportunities you eventually go to Chicago now. So was that the decision? Like you're going to leave school, you're going to graduate from school and go to Chicago and try to pursue this. How did you make that path? Yeah. I basically stayed in school an extra year and learned kind of the business just and did another play, got a little more experience and then always knew Chicago would be where I went because of the improv stuff and second city. And so I moved there just to kind of figure out like if I could hang with people that maybe had gone to DePaul or Loyola or acting schools and just to see like where I ranked, you know, and if I was good again, it was really me testing out to see if, you know, my professor in Manhattan, Kansas knew what good was. I I didn't know. So I needed to go figure that out. And Chicago seemed like a safe place to kind of land first. So I went there and of course, you know, ended up being around some of the people that we now rely on for a lot of our humor in the world, the Tina Fey's, the Rachel Dratches, the Keckners, the Brian Stacks, Pat Finns, you know, tons of improvisers and actors that are just really, truly funny people. They had all kind of moved on, but I got to see them perform. Tina Fey was my level two teacher at Second City Conservatory program. And so I just started taking classes and assessed that for my experience, I was doing okay. And then set it in my mind that I'm going to move to LA. I'm going to give this a, a run here in Chicago and then move to Los Angeles. Cause my friends, Paul, that guy I talked about, he had moved out here and was pursuing a writing career. So I was like, well, my best friends in LA, I don't really have any close friends in Chicago. So I'll go that direction. Right. How long were you in Chicago? Two years, one year and 11 months. Okay. And the reason I decided to leave Brian was because here I had put all my eggs in the second city basket. I'm like, I'm going to be on the main stage of second city someday. Like that's a goal. There's always one of our body types on the main stage, the Chris Farley's and Horatio Sands and John Candy's. There always was a heavy set dude. 
So I thought, well, I have a decent chance. Well, then I did my level five conservatory program. And at the end of it, I asked my teacher, John Hildreth, was Kelly Leonard here? Were the producers of Second City? Did they see me perform? And he's like, no. I'm like, wait a minute. So no, nobody that makes decisions on like casting was here and no, like, no, I'm in the pipeline. And they're like, no. So then I realized I had just done that conservatory just to start over and go and audition again at some other point. And I'm like, well, screw this. I'm going to Los Angeles. Right. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Not only did Zen create the first ever nicotine pouch, we're still America's number one choice for smoke-free, spit-free nicotine satisfaction. It could be because Zen is made with only six simple ingredients, including naturally derived nicotine salt. Or maybe it's because Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day trial. For anyone worried Zen won't cut it like traditional tobacco, just ask one of the millions of people who have achieved lasting change. You have lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zin. Find your Zin online or in a store near you at zin.com slash find. That's zyn.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. So you had a friend 
Did that make that transition fairly easy coming to Los Angeles? Socially, at least? Yeah, socially, for sure. You know, uh, had no real traction other than one name of a casting director who you've run into, I'm sure. Her name was Jillian O'Neill. And she worked with Nikki Valco casting. Yeah. And the, the producer in Chicago that had helped me get my SAG card by doing three backgrounds, she's like, when I was moving, she said, oh, I have a friend um, that is a casting associate for somebody in LA. And I'll give you her name. That was the only professional name I came to town with. And she was nice enough to accept my headshot. And she's like, yeah, we'll call you in. You know, if something comes up, we'll, we'll give you a call. And she called me in and it took me, you know, maybe four or five times of going in for, I can't think of his name, biggest producer in town, TV wise, uh, big bang theory. Uh, Lori, Chuck Lori. Yeah. Chuck Lori. It took me like four or five times going in and getting called back. And finally I got a little part on Darman Greg and that was really the beginning, but I didn't, you know, know anybody, but again, it all comes down to people just being nice and like giving you a shot. Right. I think for me, a big lesson you learn is how important just like the number of jobs you get, regardless of what they are. Right. So there's like commercials and there's this show and that show, and you start to build a career. I know you did a, a lot of commercials. I hear over a hundred commercials you did after arriving yeah. in Los Angeles. Well, I did a national campaign in, in Chicago for the NCA where I played this character named Joe football, where I was painted red and blue. And then that helped me get a commercial agent in LA. And then I was lucky enough one day to meet a guy named Joe Pitka. Okay. And Joe Pitka is a legendary commercial director in Los Angeles. And I went in and I auditioned for an American Express Tiger Woods commercial where the ball's traveling all over the world. And I was just a guy on a tee box somewhere and the ball lands and I smashed the ball. So I go into this audition and when it, before I went in, my agent called me and was like, you're auditioning for Joe Pitka. I'm like, Okay, what, what what does that mean? She's like, you don't know who Joe Pitka is? I'm like, no, what do I need to do right now? Do I need to pull over? What's happening? She's like, no, he's very intimidating. He's very scary. You know, he's very loyal. Just be cool. Be calm. Don't poke the bear. I'm like, what the hell? So I go in and I audition for this Tiger Woods commercial where it's like, I don't even think I have lines. He just was like looking me up and down at my body. And maybe he had me go swing the golf, like a golf club or something. And I'm standing there and he's just staring at me, like literally like a lion about to pounce on a pound of meat. He goes, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Kansas city. It was Kansas city. I said, uh, yeah, where are you from? And he goes, Pittsburgh. And I said, Pittsburgh. He goes, yeah, you got a problem with Pittsburgh? And I said, well, no, but it seems like you have a problem with Kansas City. He's got to have a problem with Kansas City. Why do you think I have a problem with Kansas City? And I said, well, because I said where I was from, and you were like judgmental about it. Yes, I wasn't judgmental about it. He goes, what's your problem? And I go, well, I don't have a problem. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's happening. Like, she warned me that this could happen, and I've just been in, I'm engaged. Now I'm in an argument with the guy who, like, is maybe hiring me. So he's like, get the fuck out of here. And like literally said it like that. And I'm like, I leave and I'm like, I call her. And I said, well, I guess I screwed that moment up. I guess I didn't heed your warning. She's like, what happened? I said, well, we got into an argument about where I was from. Like, she's like, what did you do? What did you do? I said, I didn't do anything. I just answered his question. Well, long story short, uh, like a day later, 
she calls me and she's like, you are not going to believe this. And I said, what? She said, you are not getting that American Express commercial. And I said, well, yeah, clearly. She goes, but Joe Pitka had his casting director call back and say, he can't wait to work with you on something. And I was like, so confused. And then a <laughs> month later, I get a phone call. It says, show up in the Long Beach Harbor. You're in an IBM commercial with Joe Pitka. And that was the beginning of our, our run. Wow. Incredible. That is unbelievable. How many did you end up doing with him? This is going to sound so ridiculous what I'm about to say, but it's like a couple campaigns, but it was like almost 60 and he would just call and listen, I have talked about him when I've been asked, you know, for comments about acting and things like that. I just had dinner with him a month ago here in Los Angeles and he doesn't like to hear this because he's this guy, you know, he's Polish from Pittsburgh. He's stubborn and he's bullheaded and he's, you know, he is he, him. But I'm like, Joe, you have to acknowledge my appreciation and my thankfulness to you because you taught me so much about like working under pressure. You taught me so much about like being prepared. You taught me, taught me so much about being patient and like confident in your abilities and like you, but more than anything, you gave me the ability to go into these theatrical auditions with the confidence that I had somebody outside of this room that's going to hire me for something. And like, you don't know what that means to an actor to know that like, I'm not walking in with desperation on my brow. It's like, fuck you. Like, no, I'm serious. You need to know that you mean a tremendous amount to my career and that I wouldn't be where I ended up being without you. And that's all I'm going to say about it. That's amazing. Yeah. Good. He's a good guy. I just figured out his shtick, man. I mean, he, he is tough, but he just appreciated that I, in that room, that first moment that I engaged him and that I wasn't like whimpering. And that was his test. His test was like, well, can you work with me on set when there's 10 hours of time we've wasted and we've got to get the shot in one minute? Can you be that person? And that's what he kind of puts people through. It's another thing you don't hear so much about in terms of, in terms of other things you could be thankful to him for, but just, you know, you can, be at second city. You can, I mean, hell you can be at SNL. You can be on live stage in front of a thousand, 2000 people. There's something different about the camera and shooting in front of the camera. That's not a live setting. And just the process of going through that, as you said, 60 times or a hundred times or however many times it was having that onset experience I know it sounds stupid, but just like hitting your mark, showing up, knowing what you're supposed to do, what your ultimate job is, and then also being pliable enough to change and adjust in the moment. It sounds so simple, but unless you actually do it in stakes that matter a tremendous amount to people, meaning they're paying a bunch of money for this shoot to happen, it doesn't ever feel the same way. And that's got to be an amazing gift. Well, it is. And let me tell you, that is why directors have people they hire over and over again, because that's right. You know, as, as you know, as well as I know, everybody's scared of someone in this business. So Joe is being hired to shoot a commercial and create a commercial that needs to be good, right? Or he doesn't get hired again. Well, how does he go about making sure he makes a good commercial? Well, he hires people he can rely on and count on and that no, aren't going to waste a bunch of time. And 
like that's just it is the practice and experience of being in front of the camera and like you said hitting a mark and having the confidence to hit a mark and knowing your lines i just remember showing up on like the first set of a tv show being nervous as hell but also knowing that i had been through it and knew what my job was and knew to be prepared and that was because of that experience yeah that's that's awesome. So at this point, you you have this confidence, and you start booking small roles on things. You start becoming a working actor. Obviously, almost famous comes to mind through my research. I understand you auditioned for Lester Banks, which you didn't get, but the legend is Cameron Crowe said you needed to be in the movie. He needed to have you well, in the movie. Yeah, Gail another casting director, you know, as actors that are listening, we always want to kind of pit ourselves against casting directors sometimes and think of them as gatekeepers. And I'm not going to tell you that doesn't exist because I think that does exist, but the really great casting directors, which is so true in all of our business, the really good, good, great people at their jobs are not that the confident people in their abilities. They're not what you think of as the worst of the worst. It's kind of like, when you, I hate to use this analogy because it sounds so fancy, but it's just one that works. You like when you're in first class sometimes and most everyone in first class is really nice to everyone and accommodating and helpful. And then some a-hole gets on and is mean to the flight attendant and can't believe they don't have ranch dressing when he clearly ordered ranch dressing. <laughs> if you look at that person's ticket, you will probably see that they themselves aren't paying for that ticket or they got upgraded and they're playing the role of what they think a person in first class acts like snooty and uppity. That's not to say there aren't a-holes that are in first class, but for <laughs> right. the most part, the confidence of being someplace and in your abilities doesn't always translate to what people think it is, right? That's so smart. Actors are the same way. The really good actors and the really good confident people aren't punching down at people, casting directors that are really good at their job and confident in their job and work for big people. They're not punching down at people. They're helpful. They want you to succeed. They hope you're the next Marlon Brando when you walk into the room, right? Yeah. Cause that means their day's over. They just found the part. <laughs> right. Anyway, my point on Gail Levin, the casting director for almost famous, she called me in and she, again, she said, honey, you're not going to get this part of Lester Bangs. And I'm like, God, no. I, I had the episode of Darma and Greg on my resume at that point. <laughs> and she said, but you're, you're really good. Like you, you did a really good job with this. And I said, well, thank you. And she said, I think Cameron should meet you. And I said, okay. And so I leave that audition. I call my parents. That's back when I would call my parents and tell them news before they started hounding me constantly about, well, have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? Oh, heard no. Did you get the, it's the oh, worst. No. Oh, are we this? We're this. We have the same parents. That is. <laughs> oh my God. And it's well, did you horrible. Have you heard yeah. anything? That have audition anything? that you did three weeks ago that you mistakenly told them you had, you wish you had yeah. never told them you had that audition, but now they're asking you about it. And of course I didn't get it. Have you heard anything? <laughs> did now I know you had that callback. Have you heard? Like, yeah, the answer is no. Marshall Bell, Marshall Bell, great character actor that I worked with, with Joe Pitka. He, he's the one that taught me that Hollywood is the fastest yes and the slowest no. 
And I told my parents that I'm like, if I haven't heard anything, the answer is no. Like I would tell you if I got the McDonald's commercial. Yeah. So Gail, I call home and I say, well, she told me she wants me to meet the director and Cameron Crowe's like a legendary director. We'll see if it happens. And then she called a couple weeks later and was like, can you come in and meet Cameron? And so I did. And this is again, talking about the best act in a different way. He's just so nice and so accommodating. He's like, Hey, so do you mind if I follow you, follow you around in the room with my camcorder? And I'm like, uh, for these four lines. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, sure. So I read my four lines and he's just like moving the camera all around me. Like a, like it's on some kind of jib. And, uh, he's like, yeah, okay. Now show me one, like, like do jealous, like do really jealous, do angry, do sad, do, do like you've been up all night. Like he had me run through all these emotions and I leave there so artistically creatively fulfilled because it didn't matter then if I got the job, I just went through the most incredible work session with Cameron Crowe and I learned so much and I left and they called and they were like, yeah, you're going to do this part in the movie. And I said, okay. And that really kind of helped, helped me get started. Like that did, that was a major help for my career. Almost famous. Yeah. Well, because again, like I said, and as you know, everyone needs somebody else's opinion. And so now when I walk into a room, it's not, just Chuck Lorre's opinion that I was good enough to be on an episode of Darman Greg. It's Cameron Crowe's opinion that I'm good enough to be in one of his movies. And we know small parts in feature films are very hard to get auditions for and very hard to book. And so now when I walk into an audition for CSI for a recurring role, my intro is uh, this is Eric Stone Street, who is just an almost famous, and he's so funny in the movie. Like it just changes the perspective for everyone for you in that moment. So I always say that almost famous changed the landscape for me, not because it's like I made all this money or something like that. It was just that now someone could say point to Cameron Crowe and DreamWorks and Steven Spielberg and say, "Well, he's good enough to be in their movie." Right. 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 How many episodes of CSI did you do? You did a bunch, I think right? Like Fifteen or sixteen, yeah. yeah, yeah, something like that. Were you ever on that one? I did one. Did what? Did you play, did you play a killer? I was a furry. Oh my god, I remember that. I was a furry. A fur, I remember a, that episode. Se- I I don't know that you were. I definitely didn't have any scenes with you, but uh, no, yeah. I don't know if I think I might have been. Hold on. Well, it, it, you're rolling the camera, but they won't, people won't be able to see this. But I do have something to show you. Fur um, and loathing. Fur and Loathing was the name of it. Dude, Brian, I think I was in that episode. I was in the lab. Uh, probably. Look, here's you. this is for you. We, I can send you a picture oh, of this. Oh, CSI. There he is. I had my own trading card. Ronnie, nice. Look <laughs> at that. That is amazing. I, they okay, did not ha- give me that. No, to have somebody find out if I that's a Kevin Bacon. We're we're in one <laughs> one, episode one episode of together. TV show together. <laughs> yeah, that's great. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road, but if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. 
anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen nicotine pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at zyn.com. That's Z-Y-N.com to start your new journey today with the Zen 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. So I want to talk to you a little bit, obviously, about Modern Family. I'm going to tell you a story that I know I haven't told you also. But in 2010 and 11 and 12, that's fine. But you were nominated for Best Supporting Actor, the Emmys. And Mm -hmm. this is the time the office was getting nominated and we were all there. And I was sitting next to Angela Kenzie. And I, you know, I met you, we'd spent some time together. I know that you worked with Angela, as you mentioned earlier, quite a bit at Improv Olympic. She loved you. And I didn't know you that well. I took a little bit of a different path, more through the theater route, but mm-hmm. I envisioned us as a, as having sort of a similar journey. And I, 
remember sitting there in the audience and I was sitting next to Angela and we were like, this is bizarre, but we were like essentially holding hands when they were announcing you. And when you won, I cried and Angela cried hard tears Angela cried hard tears. I cried maybe because she was crying, but I think that that's just me not owning up to it. It was something about you, your work, your work was so good. So there was that, but it was also like, well, to quote Kevin Malone, I guess it's just nice to win one. It felt like you winning was like winning for me in a weird way. I don't even yeah. know how, I, or or like not just me, but like all of us who are sort of in the ensemble cast of The Office. That it was, it was just a like a validation of like someone who works hard in Hollywood, has a career, builds a career, and keeps working at Improv Olympic, trying to get better and doing commercials and doing these little roles. It just felt like a victory for all of us. So <laughs> that's a true, it's a true story. I, I don't, I don't think I've ever, cause it's a weird thing to say. Like we weren't like brothers or like best friends, but somehow <laughs> you're winning. That was, that was a thing for me. So there well, you go. That is so nice. <clears throat> that, that means a lot. I mean, it means a lot because what you're describing you felt is exactly how I felt right? I, I felt that way. Like I was nominated for all of us and I won for all of us because, you know, a year before that, I didn't know what I was doing on a Thursday. I joke, but when we were shooting the pilot of Modern Family and everybody were getting to kind of know each other, everyone had something to do. Like Rico was gonna, he was shooting an episode of some NCIS the next week. Julie was in second position on a pilot. Ty Burrell was in second position on a pilot. Jesse was going to do a Broadway musical if it didn't go. Ed was just rich and he didn't care. He was going to go home and put a pot roast in a crock pot and drink a bottle of thousand dollar wine. Like it wasn't (laughs) a big deal to him. Sophia had a deal at ABC. Everybody had, my point is everybody had something in the, in the hopper. And it's not like I was this down and out actor. I don't want to portray that, but I didn't have anything lined up because I got this audition and I wasn't going on every pilot audition at that point. I was going on a lot, but here I got it. And then a year later, I'm nominated for an Emmy and I'm up on stage with the late, great Betty White handing me my Emmy and look out. I see John Goodman in the crowd and I completely blank out. Like I just blank out. And so for you to say that that's how you felt helps me feel exactly how I felt at that time, which was this journeyman who was just like everybody else. Yeah. I mean, literally just like everyone else. And now I'm in a tuxedo in front of a bunch of fancy people winning a trophy. That's what it felt like. And that's what it was. So thank you. That's very meaningful and very nice of you to say it just takes me back man it just takes me back so i'm i'm i'm, ha- I'm happy to hear that story oh what a year here's a good one for you yeah here's a good one for you uh, brian when i walked off stage the night before the party tina fey asked me if i had a speech ready and i said i, I really haven't written anything down and she's like look at me 
write something down. Just write some bullet points down. I said, okay. So I went home and I put a little crib sheet in my hand about the size of my palm. And I wrote some bullet points down. Parents, Steve and Chris, coworkers, just things like that. And they say my name and I get up. And if you watch the video, you see me take it out of my jacket pocket. And then I proceed to never look at it again. I just blanked out. But I, I, I said what I wanted to say. And I walk right. off stage. And the person that greets me when I walk off stage as I'm handing back the fake Emmy that you, they give you yeah. is John Lithgow. John Lithgow, who I admire, respect, adore, oh, is one of the, the greatest best. American actors ever, looks at me and he goes, that was a great speech. And I looked at him and I said, John, I'm going to trust that it was because I have no memory of it. But if you say so, I believe it. And that was that was it. That's so awesome. Oh, I love that. I love that. Couldn't happen to a better guy. Um, the show, unlike The Office, it I mean, it comes out of the gate just enormous. How is that for you? That experience of you're doing guest stars, you're doing commercials, you're working at improv Olympic, you're doing all these things. What is that for you that it just, you're suddenly you're on a show and it's like the number one show on TV. Yeah. I mean, it, and it, it, it happened that fast. Shoot the pilot, you wait, it gets picked up and then we start production. The first, my first day of work on the show, the series, not the pilot, but the series, my first day of work, I show up and the first scene I shoot is the scene of me charging across the parking lot with the trash can above my head screaming, I'm going to break the window. So here I am on my first, like, of, I don't know what it means to be on a show on a daily basis. Right. You know, and now I'm there. I mean, I'm in it. And that's where the Joe Pitka stuff comes back to play. It's like, I better just get this job done. Like they've given me this job. So they clearly have confidence in me. I better find the confidence in myself to know that like, well, I'm here cause I'm supposed to be, and I better start acting like it. So <laughs> it was quite a shock to have a place to go to work. I mean, you remember that you remember pulling sure. up to your sound stage and thinking like, I have a place to go after for me, it was 1998. It was 11 years. And then two in Chicago, 13 years, 13 years of never knowing where I was going to be day to day or week to week. And now I had a place to go. I, I, I just remember thinking like, I bet I can drive a golf cart on a studio lot. I'll bet if somebody, if I ask somebody, I'll bet I could drive a golf cart around here. And thinking that was the greatest thing I'd ever heard of. <laughs> that is like, the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. You were on, where Where were you again? What lot? 20th, 20th. 20th. That's right. I wish we would have been on Warner Brothers, like or Paramount. They're just such iconic lots. I mean, 20th right. is fine, but it's not Warner Brothers. It's not Universal where you have all this interaction with these people that, the, that are just happen to be there. There's nothing better than being on set and walking to set and then a tour walk by from, you know, Illinois and being like, holy cow, there's one of those actor folk getting, you know, like, and you being like, hi, welcome to Los Angeles. I mean, that's what you want to do, right? I mean, it's just so fun because I remember coming to LA and going on a, on a 4-H trip to the Ross Schaefer show and Chuck Norris was a, a guest 
And I got to ask Chuck Norris a question from the audience. And like, I'm like, I'm never forgetting this in my life. And so I always just thought it was so cool to see, you know, just your folks from the Midwest on a studio tour and then be able to go home and say, and yeah, there he was. He was walking. He had band-aids all over his face. He was just, he's just like you and me. <laughs> everybody, I think everybody who's ever been here has some story like that. Mine was, you had, Chuck Norris is pretty good. Mine was, I was doing a tour on the Universal lot and I saw Kit, the Knight Rider car. Oh my gosh. That was it. That was, that was oh. my star sighting was Kit, the Knight Rider car. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means. It's a, it's it's pretty good. I mean, it's good. Uh, you and Jesse played the first committed queer relationship on a major network primetime television show. Yeah. Were you aware of that in advance? Like, were you, were you thinking like, oh, this is a first or did that come later? Like when you were cast, when you were going through the casting process or whatever. Yeah, not not the first thing I, or not the aspect of us being the first. That wasn't on my mind at all because I didn't I don't think I knew that. I didn't realize that. But, you know, more than anything, I just wanted the part. And like I felt like my life perspective as an actor, as a person could enhance and help people get over fears of gay people. Like I just thought like this is a good opportunity for this pig raising farm guy, cow steer tipping, you know, dude to be like, I'm so confident in myself and also so not concerned with anyone thinking that I would be gay, like to play this part. And that I thought that I could be an al- I could be a really good ally. Like I thought, right. And I just thought my life experiences to that character would be make him really diverse like with the drumming, the clowning, the farming, the football and all that, it's like that would just make this character hopefully a very well-rounded gay man, not just a gay man. Right. So that's what I was fighting for from the beginning is, is just like, I just want this part. I just feel like I can do this part. And then the idea that we were firsts and uh, cultural touchstones for people just added to the meaningfulness of it. Like it just, made it even better and more fun and more important for myself, but also, but for the gay community, which was great. Were you embraced by the LGBTQ community? Oh yeah. I, Jesse and I were at all the different functions in the beginning the Trevor projects, the human rights campaign, all that. I think it was great. I, you know, I just wanted to create a character people liked and loved and thought, that was my uncle or that's my aunt or that's my brother-in-law. I just didn't right. want, I just didn't want anyone to see one thing. Right. I wanted them to be able to, and that, that was, would always mean the most to me is when I would be out and they would say, Oh my God, your character reminds me so much of my cousin. And I'm like, Oh, what's his name? It's like, Oh no, her name. Or they would say, your character reminds me so much of my uncle. Well, what's his name? Well, he's not, he's not even gay. Like right. I just didn't want to, be defined. I want him to be a confident gay man, but I didn't want the fact that Cam was gay to be what defined him, right? Yeah. And Steve and Chris were the same way. Yeah. It's amazing to me. I've obviously talked to Rain Wilson a lot. His character is sort of the, the most easily identifiable in this way, but like 
a character full of dichotomy, right? Mm-hmm. So like Dwight Schrute drives a Trans Am, listens to heavy metal, but is into Dungeons and Dragons and is a sheriff's, you know, uh, deputy. Yeah. You, you know, all of these things that don't go together, yet when they go to, that's reality. That actually brings mm-hmm. a greater reality. And I think that your character, a lot of the same things can be said, taking what someone would expect and, you know, pig farming, football playing from Kansas. How, how much of your life was put into the character? I mean, how much did, did you influence how that character was written eventually? Well, quite a bit from the beginning. We, when I got the part in between getting the part in the pilot and then the pilot and shooting the series, they talked to us a lot. I have a very vivid day of the day that Michael Jackson passed away. I, along with my dad, was at 20th Century Fox having a meeting with the writers and giving them examples of my my raising, my rearing right. my childhood. And they're just all writing all this down. And, you know, a lot of it. But they had written It's so hard because they had written this character and they said the more paternal of the two, the more enthusiastic. Those were the words they used. But then they said, but not over the top. Well, yet they wrote in the pilot a scene where I introduce our baby with a spotlight to the Lion King theme. So (laughs) as an actor, you know that, well, that's a pitfall, right? Right. How do I build a character that isn't over the top yet? That's where we're headed to that moment. So how do you have those stepping stones in place in an arc that's not too over the top, but yet leads to a way over the top place? So that was what was hard about the character. Well, that's why I ended up kind of in the world of opposites, you know, playing sort of a character inspired by my mom, cut with my physicality being six foot one, 265 pounds, and then cutting that with a a soft voice and a soft approach and the jewel tones of the clothes and the hair, all that. I thought, well, those all kind of work in opposite together, and maybe that would work. That will be the pathway there. So that's, that's how that happen but it's always this balance of delivering these crazy lines these word gymnastics these crazy scenarios but yet maintaining a sense of believability well the way i did that was i used my mom as a guidepost because my mom is not a character she's a fun loving character so i thought well i'll always just take it up to how my mom would say it right. uh, and if i just leave it at that then i know it's still in the world of believability yeah. Congratulations on all of it. Thank you. 11 years. What is the thing that you think about the most now yeah. that you don't necessarily have a place to go quite in the same way that you did for those 11 years? What's the thing you think about the most? You know, the smell, the feeling of a soundstage at 6 30, 7 o'clock in the morning, the construction, the paint, the noises the soundstage coming alive with the hundred and some men and women that like come to work and bring everything, the smell of craft service and catering, the coffee brewing in the makeup trailer, like all the stuff around it, because that's what as an actor you fantasize about of like being on a set. That's all we ever wanted was just that set experience. Like you said, the experience is what builds your career. And then here we are our own place to go with relationships. I know the first name of the grip. I know the first name of the painter. I know the first name of the best boy. And we're all kind of working together to bring this thing. So honestly, what I think of is just the 
the composition of an all, right? Take a step back and look at that sound stage and think of everything that goes into making that tick in that day. That's what I miss. You know, I always joke, but I'm very serious that I cry at parades because I love a parade because I know and think about all the conversations that went in to getting everybody at that starting line, the dance studio, the fire trucks, the Shriners, the phone calls the night before of like, my costume's ripped. I don't know what I'm going to wear. Tommy, it's going to be fine. You're going to still show up at eight o'clock and everybody taking it so seriously. Well, that's Hollywood every day. Everyone has over and over conversations about making sure Brian's suit is the way it's supposed to be. And somebody sets it there. And you know what? I have insoles in my shoe. And you know what? We've misplaced Eric's insoles from last time. Somebody has to go get those insoles. Like all. The, so what I think about is the, the production of it all, the company of making it all happen, and how it's so fun to be a part of that. Amen. Congratulations on everything. Domino Masters. Now you're a host. Domino Masters. Domino Masters. Yeah. You're a host now. I'm so happy for all of your success. Thanks, buddy. Truly. And um, I don't. Maybe we. Maybe we got to go to a game together. Here yeah. At well, some point soon. This year was the year you could have come to the Packers game in Kansas City. You know that game didn't carry the same uh, enthusiasm because Aaron not playing, or just yeah. because yeah, yeah. Because I was thinking about well, it. I've never been. I need to come. Now, let me ask you this. Will you have two teams next year you root for if there is a split? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, because you're going to root for the player. Yeah. And you're going to root for the team. Yeah. Now, yeah. what if it was but a you far know what? situation? Actually, wait a minute. Actually, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Was that like a fancy catch? I don't know that there will be two teams. Let me say right. that very clearly. Yes. We'll see what happens. But what if it was a Favre situation? Would you all of a sudden root for Aaron to do well? And not that he's going to Minnesota, but like Chicago, Minnesota. Listen, between us and anyone listening, I just, I really, I, I really don't want him to go to the Niners. <laughs> that would be, yeah. that would be the one that would be the hardest. And you know what for him? No. Well, listen, I don't know that he would go to the Niners because what's made part of what's made Aaron so great is the chip on his shoulder that he's had that they didn't, the Niners didn't take him. Like, why yeah. would he give them that satisfaction now? Right. Like I, I would think the player with the edge that he has, that I assume he has, that people say he has is like, Hey, we could have had a love affair for the last 12 years. Like you guys chose not to have that love affair with me. Why am I going to now come give you a little bit of my Aaron Rodgers love? No <laughs> ass. Right. You know, selfishly, I want him in the AFC West. I'll take him in Denver. Interesting. You want him there? His hairdo matches Denver now. He's kind of a granola guy looking like dude. He's, <laughs> looks like he's got his Tevas on driving his Subaru. <laughs> oh, how good was the corduroy suit? Oh, boy. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Imagine the friction you and I would have in that corduroy suit. <laughs> you and I walking in that corduroy suit, it would just be. <laughs> It would get it would get worn down quicker. That's for sure. It would get, it would get we'd worn have, down. We'd, we'd have some Tiger Balm in action. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Yeah, good, good, good chat. We'll get to a game together, though. Let's do it.
Eric, thank you so much for stopping by. I am so excited to see where your career takes you next, where the dominoes fall, if you will. That's it. That's our episode, everyone. Follow us on Instagram at off the beat and let us know what you thought of today's episode. You'll find me here same time and place next week where we have another amazing guest, one that you may never want to captain your ship. We'll see you then. Off the Beat is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our producers are Diego Tapia, Liz Hayes, Emily Carr, and Hannah Harris. Our talent producer is Ryan Papa Zachary. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend, Creed Bratton, and the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen Nicotine Pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen Nicotine Pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at Zen.com. That's Z-Y-N.com to start your new journey today with the Zen 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zin for a spin. Zin nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zin 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
If you love comedy movies and Hollywood satire, you're going to want to listen to a brand new podcast called Get It to Dutch. In Get It to Dutch, we play three aspiring screenwriters on a quest to get a script to big-time Hollywood producer Dutch Huxley. Each week on the podcast, we perform a movie script right before your ears. It's like going to a movie with your eyes closed. And we have amazing guest stars, including Tim Robinson, Rob Hubel, Lily Sullivan, Jamie Moyer, and Weird Al Yankovic. Listen to Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey, starting May 9th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.